O give thanks to the Lord, for God is good, and God's steadfast love endures forever. Let us worship the Lord our God.
sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. Let us pray. Holy God, our praises rise to you like the mists of the morning. In this hour, we open our hearts to you, grateful for the streams of living water you provide to sustain us, grateful for the breath of life you give us each moment as we breathe in and breathe out. Fill us with the sunlight of your creation, that we may grow like trees planted in fertile ground by rich flowing rivers and return the fruit which is the harvest of your love. In Christ's name we pray. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in the sanctuary and also those worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather together in the name of the Lord. And because we gather in the name of Jesus Christ, we greet one another in Christ's name. And that means that our greeting comes with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in Christ's house, so all are welcome here. I am delighted to tell you that next week we will resume fellowship hour, barring any unforeseen spikes in coronavirus between now and then. We are confident that we'll be able to resume that next week, uh, keeping in mind that we do seek to be consistent with all City of Philadelphia guidelines for how we gather. So that'll take place in Old Buttonwood Hall. And most importantly, if you have enjoyed fellowship hour in the past, I would invite you to volunteer to participate in fellowship hour going forward. The deacons would absolutely love to have your help. Uh, they provide the cookies and, and everything you need to have the fellowship hour, but they can always use more hands. So you can sign up for that by emailing our deacons through our church website, where you'll also find other updates about the life of the congregation. While you're on the website, you can sign up for our contemplative practices series being led by the Margaret, Reverend Margaret Somerville on Wednesday nights for the remaining Wednesdays in February. You'll see information about that in your bulletin as well. The annual meeting of the congregation was held between our two services this morning at 11 a.m., and the, the uh, annual report was distributed electronically. There are, as well, paper copies, and if we've run out of them, just call the church office, and we'll be happy to send you one if you'd like a paper copy of it, but it will be placed on our website for your reading pleasure in the days and weeks to come. With these things noted, let us continue the worship of God with our confession of sin. With the assurance of Christ's embracing love, we can approach God to speak of all that we have done of harm, harm to ourselves, to others, to the earth itself. So before God and all who worship with us, we stand beside the wrong in our lives, and we ask God for forgiveness. 
first together and then in silence. God of hope, you know us so very well. We believe that we can hide things from your sight. We are wrong. We believe that we should hide our misdeeds. We are wrong. You know us so very well, and you love us. You desire our confession so that we may be healed. We needn't hide at all. Why do we hide, O Lord? We hide because we are afraid. We are afraid that you will judge us. We forget that in Jesus, you, the judge, stood in our place. You know us so well, O God, because you chose to be with us. Forgive our fear and turn our hearts back to you. We pray in the name of the one who stood in our place, Jesus Christ. honesty of our confession, Jesus says to us, each one, go and sin no more, and offers us his invitation, come and follow me. Believe the promise of the gospel.
first lesson today comes from the prophet Jeremiah, reading from the 17th chapter. Listen for the word of God. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. Thus ends the first lesson. The second lesson comes from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, his first letter reading from the 15th chapter. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. This ends the second lesson. Final lesson is taken from the Gospel according to Luke, the sixth chapter beginning in the 17th verse and continuing through the 26th. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon, 
They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, it has been a pandemic, hasn't it? And we're not even done yet. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm done. I am so, so, so done. Uh, but since it's not over yet, I guess we better carry on. What do you think? Let's be honest about it, though. I wonder how many of us at this stage are finding that our faith is a bit frayed at the edges after everything we have been through. Now, I'm sure it is indelibly written on all of your minds, but let's just recap this for a second here. First, we closed the church for two weeks, sure we would be back for Easter. Then we were just sure we would be back for Pentecost. This is 2020, by the way. Then we had hoped to return in time for Christmas. We were giddy at the start of last year over the 
prospect of safe, effective vaccines bringing the pandemic to a uh, conclusion sooner than we had any reason to hope. Sure, the rollout in Philadelphia was a bit of a Bush League disaster, but the National Guard showed up and got us back on track. Then there was that one glorious week in July, that week when the infection rates got low enough that I thought we were going to be able to have a great big mask-burning party. And that's when we started hearing about Delta. We did manage to have a fabulous brunch out back on Chancellor Street. In the meantime, I met some neighbors that I'd never met when we gathered outside that time. And likewise, when we had fellowship hour out on the, on the sidewalk afterwards. And over time, after Delta began disrupting our lives, the numbers started getting better again. And I, I was delighted when my extended family was able to gather for the first time since my mother-in-law died this last Thanksgiving. It was absolutely wonderful. We were all together. We were just having a fabulous time with the food. And, and then on the bottom of the television screen, variant of concern identified. At one point during the Christmas season, I went to seven different pharmacies looking for a COVID test, and I said to myself, well, if I wasn't exposed to it before now, I sure am. And of course, the numbers are getting better again. So we could be excused for the seesaw of emotions we are experiencing when our plans have to shift on a dime every time something changes, and we don't get to do what we had planned to do the way we wanted. Now, by and large, over these last two years, I have chosen not to focus on the pandemic in everything I write to you or preach to you. We are people of hope, and getting too focused, too obsessed with the things that make us feel blue is not a prescription for living with hope. Now, I, I'm not of the, the school of the power of positive thinking, but I do think we have some responsibility for where we let our minds go. So we need to live with hope. We need to develop the habit of mind that reminds us that we are Easter people, that we hope in the resurrection. That is, after all, what our faith in Jesus Christ is all about. That's why Paul lays out the truth so plainly at the end of his first letter to the Corinthians. Now, honestly, by the time we get to this point in 1 Corinthians, we're probably on his second or third letter to the Corinthians, but this is how the fragments are pieced together so that they make sense and give us a, a cohesive body for that letter. And if we think that anxiety about the future is anything new, we don't need to look any further than the Apostle Paul when he is writing to the Corinthian Christians to quickly be disabused of the notion. Paul is very worried about the Corinthians. He is worried that they have lost their way. He is worried that they don't care for the poor in their own community. He is worried that they can't resolve their differences civilly. 
and he is worried that they have lost sight of the resurrection. One scholar notes that for Paul, the whole web of Christian discourse is airy nonsense if it's not anchored in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. Christian preaching becomes a system of delusions offering nothing but lies and empty gestures before this particular scholar concludes, the gospel has no power to save us if Christ is not raised, and therefore the Corinthians are still lost in their sins, their hope of reconciliation with God based on a futile human fantasy. Now, in my experience, sin is a topic that many Christians would prefer to avoid. Sure, we will confess it on a weekly basis, but we prefer to keep it abstract. Honesty is the cornerstone of Christian community, and the ability to be honest with God about what hurts is key. Yes, sin, conceptually, does reflect what hurts other people, the ways we hurt other people, but it also reflects the ways that we are hurt, because the brokenness of sin isn't just what we do to other folks through any combination of the seven deadlies or anything like that. The brokenness of sin is also the ways that we ourselves are hurt, and perhaps the ways we live that hurt out on other people. And if we can name how we are hurt then we can be honest about sin. And I wonder today how many of us are suffering from the sin of self-doubt. I wonder today how many are suffering from the sin of hopelessness. I wonder today how many of us are experiencing sabotage in our lives because of the upwelling of the sin of negativity. Any one of these could crash upon us like a wave at a breakwater and threaten to rob us of the joy of life, of the fullness of human experience that God desires for us. So Paul wants the Corinthians to know that the power of sin is destroyed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that that is the basis for our hope. He's worried about them. That's why he's writing this to them. And in pointing us back to the resurrection... Paul is clearly pointing us not simply to an abstraction of what resurrection means, but to the very person of Jesus Christ, in whose resurrection lies the hope of our own. A few weeks ago, I said to you that the truth is a person. For Christians, the truth is Jesus Christ. When Paul is pointing them back, and us, back to the resurrection, he is pointing us back to Jesus, to the person of Jesus. 
And when we live in the promise of the resurrection, when we live in the hope of the resurrection, we look to Jesus for how we respond to the issues of life. In the sixth chapter of Luke, Jesus gives us a vision for what a life rooted in God's grace looks like. In his Sermon on the Plain, which sounds a very great deal like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus launches into a description of what a life of blessing looks like. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. On and on he goes, laying out a life of blessing, a life of living in God's grace, of living with the reality of redemption in the present tense. But, and this is a very big but, Unlike in Matthew's gospel account, where Jesus leaves us replete with all of the blessed R's and then turns to telling his community that they should go and be a, a light on the hill so that everyone will see them and know who he is, they let their light shine. Mm, that's Matthew's version. Here in Luke's version, Jesus promptly puts us right back to the problem of human sin. But woe to you who are rich now, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. Woe to you if you cannot see the grace of God, because your life does not allow you to see it. He goes on, and what Jesus is laying out here is not an easy path, but rather a hard path. The path to the life of blessing runs through a gauntlet of loving our enemies, turning the other cheek, giving away our clothes when we are asked, and understanding that Judgment is the prerogative of God alone. On all of these things, Jesus continues to preach in the subsequent verses of the Sermon on the Plain. And frankly, it's not just a hard path. It is an impossible path. Once I invited a friend of mine who is a brilliant Old Testament scholar to teach a lecture series on the hardest texts of the Hebrew scriptures. He did an absolutely amazing job. He talked about all of the stories in the Old Testament that are referred to as texts of terror. He dealt with the problems of sexism and misogyny. He walked through a veritable who's who of difficult passages. And when he had finished lecturing... My job was to preach a sermon on the hardest texts of the New Testament. I selected this text and the subsequent passages where Jesus talks about loving our enemies, and I called the sermon The Impossible Commandment. Impossible because we cannot save ourselves from our sins 
And that is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is God's vindication of Jesus' sinless life. And it is in his resurrection that we find the hope of our own. And just so we Christians don't get too smug in our knowledge of God, I remind us that God has been calling God's people to a way of life very much like this for a very long time. The prophet Jeremiah, in the passage we read this morning, reminds us of the futility of trusting in ourselves. Because we are finite creatures. Our understanding is limited. Our lives will end. So we do not, we cannot hope in ourselves. We must hope instead in the living God whose vision for humanity extends over the eons, not in the mere moments of a life that is fleeting. We trust instead that God gets the final word and that God has the final vision of the renewed creation and that in the power of the resurrection, God gathers us in, in Jesus Christ, with the tenderness of a nursing mother. And that is how we have the confidence to dig wells from which we will not drink, to plant orchards from which we will not harvest, trusting in the mercy of God the God of life, to sustain those endeavors. Because it is true as well that we drink from wells that we did not dig and we harvest from orchards that we did not plant because it has always been the living God who sustains us. That is how we maintain hope in the moments when life is not going the way we want it to, in those instances when all the splendid things we had planned are not exactly what pans out, when the inevitable variant upends our plans, we know in those moments that it is God who holds our future, as God always has. And that is how the power of sin is diffused how the goodness of God creates resurrection even in the deadness of sin, redemption in the present tense. I love an essay. I love the way that essayist Wendell Berry puts it in a poem, Manifesto, the Mad Farmer Liberation Prod. It's a poem that I read in those moments when I think the world has lost its mind. This little bit that I'd like to quote to you goes, Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into the mold. Call that prophet. Prophesy such returns. Put your faith in the two inches of humus that will build under the trees every thousand years. 
listen to carry on, put your ear close and hear the faint chattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. To trust in the resurrection is to be joyful, though we have considered all the facts. And that, in the end, is what faith does for us. If the object of our faith is the plain truth, Jesus Christ, which brings me to the final words of Barry's poem, and they are the words with which I would leave us today. Practice resurrection. Practice resurrection. Practice resurrection. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
following faithful women and men before us down through the centuries in small churches and large churches, let us affirm our faith with the ancient baptismal creed of the church. What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. As we receive God's love for us, we pledge our love in return, offered to God and to the world. As a sign of our gratitude, we bring tangible gifts from our abundance, a sharing of what we have for the common good, for the good of neighbor, for the good of stranger, for the good of enemy. You may make your gifts online or using the offering plates now or at the end of the service. Come cheerfully and be grateful.
You may be seated. Let us pray together. God, our creator, early in the morning, when the world was young, you made life in all its beauty and terror and gave birth to all we know. In gratitude, we offer you our love. Early in the morning, when the world least expected it, you came among us as a child, crying in a stable, and became one of us. In gratitude, we offer you our love. Early in the morning, surrounded by religious leaders and statesmen and silent friends, you accepted the penalty for being good and being God and shouldered a cross on which you died. In gratitude, we offer you our love. Early in the morning, a voice in a graveyard and a journey along a road announced that you had risen and come back to us, the ones who had turned away and forgotten and denied. In gratitude, we offer you our love. And now we follow you. And this is our story, our journey. Give us the courage to walk it with you, to live it with you. Give us new life where we are worn out and tired. Give us new love where we have turned hard-hearted. Give us the joy and the freedom of your Holy Spirit where we are prisoners of ourselves. As we journey along your way, we pray for the neighbors and the strangers and the enemies that we pass each day. We pray for the sick and the lonely, for the poor and the hungry, for the lost and those who live on the streets without shelter. We pray for those wounded by violence, especially the violence of guns, for families bereft of comfort when guns kill those they love, and for those who in rage or fear or pain pull the triggers. We pray for the creatures we pass who have lost their habitat because of our priorities and our greed, for the ones who are dying or facing extinction, for the lost forests and rivers and wetlands and the countless creatures who rely on them as home. May we not look away from all these neighbors that we pass, but instead, may we see them, touch them, speak with them, eat with them, lift them up, laugh with them, love them in any way that we can, 
so that through your spirit breathing in us, the hungry will be filled, the poor will be enriched, the dying will have life, the weeping will laugh, the excluded will be welcome. Hear these our earnest and honest prayers, which we faithfully offer in the name and the words of the one who journeyed first and called us to follow. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
are people of hope, and therefore we can be joyful, though we have considered all the facts. We are people of hope, and so we can practice resurrection, knowing that the hope of our resurrection is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen.